What? There are 18 unions between me and any knob that is in this station. Would you say, Herb, roughly? Uh, that's right. And 40 panes of glass, three vice presidents, and four offices. But uh, I'm adjusting my head. Just a minute there. One, two, three, four. Hello, test. One, two, three. I'm, I'm setting the sensitivity control. Hello, one, two, three, four. Oh, oh, oh there it's going. Oh, 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 wait, excuse me. Oh, well, you got to be careful with the sensitivity control. Just a minute. I'm going to uh, set the uh, sardonic humor control now. <laughs> yeah, here it's yeah, coming up. Coming. Hello, hello. That's <laughs> better. Now we're ready to go. You realize, of course, that uh, by they figured that by 1995, man will be able to fully transistorize his psyche and his mind. For years, we've been fooling around with this imperfect thing called man's personality, and you know what it's led to? Hitler, fistfights. I mean, God knows what. In fact, I mean, of course, there are times that uh, are golden moments. And tonight, uh, as part of our constant pursuit of truth and righteousness, we uh, like to salute a couple of golden moments brought about by beer. Yeah, that'll get in the beer. Well, you know, beer. You know, beer. What would the world be like without beer? Can you imagine a world without beer? It's hard to imagine it because, you know, one of the very first things that man invented after he, you know, got through with the mess with the wheel, and let me tell you the, the just think of the, of the, of the, of the complications that just the simple invention of the wheel has led to. I mean, it's led to, oh God, you know. But uh, right after they finished the wheel, they were sitting around, and one of them mentioned, uh, it's kind of dull. Now we got the wheel. Where are we going to go? And of course, shortly thereafter, beer was invented, and very quickly, almost immediately after that, the bar was invented. And then the wheel had a raison d'etre. We'd like to salute a beer drinker who really pulled off a very interesting caper in Copenhagen, or Copenhagen, if you prefer it. The police in the town north of Copenhagen are now looking for a man who sneaked into a house the other night. It was at night, and really at night, and had you-know-what kind of relations with a woman who thought that he was her husband. The uh, lady said she did not discover her catastrophic mistake until the intruder, who was smelling heavily of beer, climbed out of bed again, and she discovered her husband snoring happily in the other bed. Her shrieks woke up her husband and their three children, but the caper was already done, the man got away, and it was like locking the you-know-what after the you-know-what has escaped. <laughs> what a bear! What a bear he... He missed the train. Let's sing it, gang. Or the bear missed the train. Or the bear missed the train. Or the bear missed the train. And now he's walking. One, two, three, four. Or the bear missed the train. Yeah. Or the bear missed the train. Or the bear missed the train. And now he's walking. It don't always matter what happens in Copenhagen. Late at night, almost any damn thing is liable to happen. Or the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Thank you. I think that's quite enough. Always leave the audience panting for more. Yes, sir. Always leave the audience panting for more. Speaking of beer, I'd like to point out that uh, many things, sometimes macabre, happen as a result of beer. West Germany. A note from the United Press International. The elderly woman experienced the shock of her life when she walked across the cemetery of this small Bavarian town. 
You got it. Late at night, she's walking across the cemetery of a small Bavarian town. Now, Bavarian cemeteries are kind of spooky anyway. And this is not far from Dracula country. And the real thing, as Merle Haggard would put it. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're ghostly. You know, they have these big crypts, and they have overhanging trees and heavy brick walls, and the wind comes howling down out of the Bavarian Alps, when all of a sudden she hears a voice that uh, echoed hollowly throughout the Bavarian cemetery. Help! Help! I'm cold! Help! Get me out of here! moaned a man's voice out of a freshly dug grave. After some hesitation, the woman stepped on the edge of the grave and saw the town's grave digger lying inside, shivering with cold. The man told police he had fallen to the grave, which he dug out himself Monday after a tour of several prominent beer halls in the neighborhood. The bear missed the train and now he's walking. You notice the bear missed the train because he was... Well, you just listen to the words. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train and now he's walking. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train and now he's walking. He's walking by and now he's walking near. Listen. Yeah. He's drinking a glass of beer. Mr. Train, that'll do it every time. Bear Mr. Train. Many of you guys miss the train because they're drinking a couple of glasses, maybe a gallon and a half of it. Oh, look at that little catch to the channel here and uh, it'll do it to you this uh, you know this beer thing just god uh, i'll tell you <laughs> you know it's a it's a, a you know what what man will do when he's uh, given the opportunity uh, and given enough of these suds just sometimes transcends belief you know i saw a scene one time and uh Everybody's got his favorite beer story. You know, something, something that happened as a result of beer or beverages, the equivalent. Uh, I was I was in a bus one time. Just you see scenes out of your life, you know, that just just look like some kind of a a Kodachrome slide taken out of something that Laurel and Hardy might have made but didn't. I was sitting in a bus one day, and the bus uh, pulled up to us this a light, a lot of traffic. And uh, the bus just started to move. And I'm just looking out the window of the bus. Now, this was on the south side of Chicago. Now, if you know anything about the south side of Chicago, this scene would not surprise you. <laughs> but for those of you who don't know about the south side, this will give you a hint. The bus just started to go. You know, the great roar. And the roaring, you know, the smoke flying out. When all of a sudden, I'm looking over here at the corner there, and there's a, uh, 
Corner Tavern. Now, you know, Corner Taverns uh, in Chicago, there's one on every corner. So Corner Tavern is just kind of redundant. Uh, the, you know, that's all there is. <laughs> every corner is a tavern. Did you know that? That's the city of taverns, man. And, and uh, I'm just looking over at this tavern, and I just happen to be looking at exactly the right time. Just, just perfect timing. Just as I'm looking at this tavern, and the bus is starting to roll, the door of the tavern, which was, you know, just a glass door, just an ordinary door, and had beer all over the place and neon signs and stuff, the door just goes, pow, slams open. And you see this guy, he just suddenly came out of the darkness, and he was off the ground. He was roughly about, oh, I'd say four to five feet in the air, and cartwheeling, literally cartwheeling in the air, just end over end, see? <laughs> And, and he landed, he landed flat on his back, and he slid across the sidewalk. See, obviously he was being thrown out bodily out of the Golden Eagle Saloon, you know. And he just landed on his back, slid right across the sidewalk. Well, I'm watching this, you know, my first uh, impulse is to cheer, see. Oh, you know, wow. At that, he jumped up, and he's drunk. I mean, so drunk, you, you could see his knees going both ways, you know, and he's, he's wobbling. And he, he gets, a, he gets his, his, his set, you know. He sets like a lineman. And he's going to go charging back, see? You can see, see they ain't going to throw him out like that, see? So he starts to run. Uh, 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 he's running, but he's running at an angle. I can see that uh, due to the fact that he had been too close to the spigot there for too long, that he had misjudged not only the distance of the door, but the direction of the door. Because he's running now, he gets going full tilt, and I say, he's running right into the wall. And he bounces off the wall. <laughs> and sits down. And he, he looks around. You know, he, he, he could just see him going through his head. My God, what a left that that bartender has got. I mean, he ran into a brick wall. He gets up. He, he, he moves back again. He starts to run. <laughs> this time, he misses the door to the other way. He figures he's going to, you know, make up for that, that, uh, bad, uh, that bad direction he took. You know, he's going to correct for windage, Herb, you know. <laughs> it's the other wall. By this time, the bus is caught in traffic. I'm watching this. The whole bus is watching. And they're cheering, see? By this time, people are yelling, cheering, you know, go back and get them. At this point, he finally makes it. He gets up and he runs. He runs right into the door. Well, apparently, the bartender had uh, dealt with this type many times before because he performed a feat that would have looked magnificent on the mod squad. I just saw his hand come out of the door. Just as the guy reached the door, he was playing him like a carom shot. His hand came out and grabbed the guy's belt just as he comes running into the darkness, see, and just let the guy's, his own uh, force of gravity, you know, his own pressure carry him into the tavern. He just swung him off the feet. His feet went up. You saw his hands come out, and now he's four feet in the air again, and just like a hammer throw, he just went whoop, out he goes. And the guy cartwheels in the air, and just as he cartwheeled, the bus got going, and that was the last I saw. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Hold it there, Herbert. Thank you. Thank you. Well, for those of you who will prefer a little more of a... Uh, thank you. For those of you who prefer a little more of an artistic attitude towards your uh, salute to Suds, uh, we have a little note from uh, Sronska Mitropovica, Yugoslavia. Slabodan Vasik bit off the ear of his good friend Danes Latar. Want a drinking party? Featuring beer got out of hand. He bit his ear off. Oh, so forgive me, forgive me. 
Bob Slobodin in a tearful public apology before the entire crowd in the bar. Forgive me, my friend, forgive me. Donne replied, standing to his full five feet seven and a half inches tall in the bar. No, I cannot, I cannot. You have made me ugly. I am now ugly. Look, my ear is gone. At that, Slobodin whipped out a knife and slashed off one of his own ears. Look, I have done this for my friend. The two are friends again. <laughs> Great moments in the bar. <laughs> Better. I'm not making it up. I don't make up the news. I'm a reporter, friend. Wouldn't these make? Wouldn't that make a great TV commercial? You know how, how it, you know beer brings friends together, gives them exciting moments that they wouldn't have otherwise. By the way, we have a, a commercial here, and it's a new one. It's a family store out in Hackensack. I hope they don't sell families. No, no, it's Prozy's Army Navy store. And one is, it's one of the most unusual Army-Navy stores around the business. It's been there since 1923. I wonder, uh, an Army-Navy store in 1923, can you imagine the fantastic, uh, uh, <laughs> the great stuff they must have been selling in 1923, you know, a war surplus of 1923, you know? What, you know, can you imagine this? Uh, putties, those flat helmets. Uh, and and probably if if, uh, if it was in 1923 they would have you know a few, few things left over from the Spanish American War you know great uh, surplus sales anyway they're having a year long anniversary promotion though a lot of things have changed in the past 50 years one thing that has kept Prozies going is their belief that better customers want better merchandise and Prozies sells better merchandise have a tremendous collection of work clothes Western wear casual wear and sports wear. The stock of shirts and pants at Prozies, for example, is made up of the best-known successful brands. None of those bad, unsuccessful pants, you know, that ravel in the breeches, the knees fall out. At Prozies, you can buy quality merchandise at the lowest possible price. And that's why Prozies, in Hackensack, has grown and gotten to be known. That's why Prozies has another store at 35 Ridge Road in North Arlington. So, if you want to make the Army-Navy... By the way, Army-Navy stores are great stores to walk around in. Do you agree? They are among the most exciting stores. Army-Navy stores, hardware stores, and any kind of an electronic store. That <laughs> turns me on. Also, uh, boating supply stores. What are exciting. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. Anyway, if you want uh, to really visit a great Army-Navy store, visit Prozies in North Arlington or at 121 Main Street in Hackensack. It's only 10 minutes from the George Washington Bridge. There's parking in the rear, and you'll be treated like a customer again. That's Prozies. P-R-O-Z-Y apostrophe S. It's a nice place to shop. Oh, Prozies, Mr. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That's, a, that's another another song I was singing there. Do you have a goodie in there for us, Herb, please? In the current issue of TV Guide magazine, a look at television's old movie revival. In the past year, the medium has been dusting off its reels of films from the 30s and 40s and coming up with some interesting viewer reactions. A report this week in TV Guide. In the same issue, a look back to television's golden days of comedy when Sid Caesar and Ernie Kovacs were household words and everybody's favorite uncle was named Milty. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Lucy and Desi Jr., in the 20 years since they appeared on the first cover of TV Guide, television has changed dramatically. Lucille Ball talks about her reactions to the changes in TV Guide. 
America's biggest-selling weekly magazine, TV Guide. On sale everywhere. Yeah, that's kind of a funny line. TV's uh, new uh, old movie revival. I must have a bad set or something. All my set has ever gotten since I got the set is nothing but old movies for 158 years. Hey, you know, speaking of, uh, of movies, have you noticed this new, uh, uh, the whole thing now, you know, TV, movies for TV. Of course, they never play any movie houses, and they just play, you know, on TV. It says, movies for TV. And it'll start out, it'll say, hearts aflame. You can always tell a, a low-budget movie for TV. It stars Hal Holbrook. Uh, this is a... And Susan Plachette, she's always in all those, too. So it says, Hearts Aflame, starring Hal Holbrook as the young, up-and-coming, dynamic senator. Suzanne Plachette as his long-suffering wife, who not only is going to have trouble with a divorce, but has lupus, which will be treated by Marcus Welby in the second, th- second reel, and a special guest star, Jose Ferrar. And that's always got me. How can you be a guest star in a one-shot movie? And that uh, I, I never can quite figure out what that means. Does that mean that uh, the next time they make that same movie, he won't be there? You know, guest star? It's, uh, of course, again, we're getting into nomenclature. We don't want to get into that. I mean, you know, nomenclature is a pretty, uh, pretty uh, right there for starters. That's a pretty uh, controversial word. And also, as soon as I hear nomenclature, the word nomenclature, my head starts to go to sleep. So I won't bring up nomenclature tonight. Well, you know why. I mean, you you never were in the armed services, were you, Herb? So you wouldn't have nomenclature pip, would you? No. No, you probably wouldn't. I think you'd probably like it. That's that's what bothers me, that there are guys who like nomenclature. Well, what nomenclature means is any guy who's ever been in any armed force of any type, Marine... Uh, the uh, Viking uh, shock troops, any type of uh, any type of uh, armed force at all, he is aware that the word nomenclature, which has 35 different variations in the various military languages around the world, has been heard by everybody from the good soldier Schweik to three guys who followed behind the second elephant from the rear and the second troop in Hannibal's artillery going over the Alps. Now, how it works is this way. Uh, nomenclature is a special word used quite often in these services, and it works like this. For those of you who remember this, you can turn the radio down because it will be a painful memory. I remember every morning for about, it seemed like nine years, we'd squat on the floor in the barracks. The rain was coming down, as it always does. You're squatting on the floor in the barracks. There's uh, an entire company of men. This is 247 guys, roughly, all wearing very gamey fatigues which have not been to the uh, laundry for a minimum of six weeks. Uh, we have not had a shower, each one of us, for probably since last Saturday. It's now late Thursday. We're all squatting on the barracks floor. It's getting gamey by the second. <laughs> Your head starts to doze off. And a red-headed corporal named Slocum steps to the blackboard, which has been set up at the end of the barracks, and says, All right, you men's. Come on, Al. Let's sit up here, men's. All righty now. It's time now for a lecture on the nomenclature to repair and the maintenance of the M14 semi-automatic gas-operated weapon. You'll find in this chart that the Mark 14 semi-automatic gas-operated weapon has been broken down into the following component parts. Following nomenclatures will be memorized by all of you men 
There will be a test given to you at the end of the training cycle. If you fail this particular test, you will not be qualified as a 521 or a basic infantry rifleman. If you are not qualified, you will be assigned to a casual company. You will be assigned probably to some bad school like quartermasters. So you better learn this nomenclature. This is called the release pin number one. Release pin number one will be found just short of the trigger guard, which I'm pointing out now at this point on the chart here of the M14 semi-automatic gas-operated weapon. That is pin number one. You will now remove it from your weapon. You will hold it in your left hand. Pin number one will be held in your left hand. Now reinsert it by putting it in the hole from which you have taken it out of with your right hand at the count of one. At the count of two, push it in another quarter inch. You will feel a click. At the count of three, you will twist it one quarter turn, one quarter turn counterclockwise to the left. All right, here we go now. Pin in left hand. One, two, three. You have now inserted the number one guard pin in your M1 and M14 semi-automatic gas-operated weapon. Now, I wish you to check now on this diagram, which we are now passing out among you. You will have a mimeograph diagram. It's a good idea for you to put it in your barracks back, keep it handy at all times. You're allowed to be asked for this nomenclature diagram at any time. You'll notice a spring, a small brass spring. The spring is just short of the number one pin, which you have just removed. That spring holds the clip in place, the clip which is designated clip A on the diagram. You will remind yourself every time you pull this clip out of your weapon, this is clip A. Say to yourself, clip A, clip A, clip A, push it back in, clip A. Any questions up to this point? At this point, the, the soporific content of Slocum's discussion and the curious beat at which he delivers it has so permeated your skull, you would not be able to ask a question if a Martian landed on the bunk ahead of you and asked you whether you'd like to know something about sex life on Mars. You would not be able to take the question. I say this, anybody who has any trouble sleeping, I would say I have never known a man in the Army that had insomnia. Nothing like a good GI lecture to cure any insomniac problems you have. And uh, I know one guy, now, now listen to this carefully, I know one guy, <laughs> this is a serious comment, I know one guy who works in an ad agency here in town. Very mean job, you know. One of those kind of jobs, uh, every five minutes his buzzer is buzzing, you know, and he gets these blue memos that come drifting down out of the air conditioning unit. Oh, man, you know, he's, he's always on the phone to uh, Elkhart, Indiana, where this guy who seems to have problem with his mentality is constantly complaining about the copy. You know, oh, he's, he's right in the middle, you know. And he leaves the agency, which is on Lexington Avenue. By the way, I hate to disabuse you of all that folklore, but very few Madison Avenue agencies are on Madison Avenue. You know that, Herb. Very few. He leaves his agency on Lexington. He lunges convulsively to this bar where he meets other victims of other agencies in the area. And uh, they quickly down three gimlets at which point he is inserted into his suburban train and he rides in a state of shock out towards this place, this hovel that he pays an enormous amount of money on every week uh, that, uh, out on the island. You know, he, got the <laughs> he, he arrives at the island, he rushes into his house. Again, he is greeted with two more gimlets. And he sits down to his, uh, his now, by the way, uh, 
since he is at a very low-paid job, you would think he's making a lot of money, but he is not. The harder the fire in an agency job, the smaller the pay. And so he sits down to his meatloaf, which has been made out of Kraft cheese bits. Can't afford meat in his house anymore. And uh, dozes through the meal. But then, strangely enough, immediately following the meal, he finds himself alert and awake. And he keeps running over problems at the agency. He keeps thinking of what he should have said. That's, that's the worst. Listen, you know, they say the saddest words of pen or tongue are it might have been. I'd say no, that's not true. Not at all true. The saddest words of pen or tongue are these. What I should have said is, think carefully upon what I have just said. What I should have said is, oh, God, that is bugged. Almost all of us, every one of you knows a moment when you should have come up with this great blockbuster. And what did you just say? Well, uh, yeah, there's something to that, J.B. It's all you said. And so it goes through his mind. He sees all the, all the things he should have said at the lunch. He thinks of all the great crushing remarks he should have made on the phone to Elkhart. He thinks of brilliant memos he should have written in answer to other brilliant memos which arrived at his place, but he never wrote the answer. These things go racing through his head. And, of course, the rest of the family is sitting there watching such uh, brilliant television uh, products as uh, Emergency or uh, Mod Squad, you know, other uh, intellectuals, the rookies. You know, these are the great intellectual fair going on there. And his head is racing with this stuff. And he futilely tries to read. And he, you know, he leaves through a book. And then he gets up and paces around. And finally... Since he has to be in the agency at like uh, 8 o'clock in the morning because the first phone calls from Elkhart start at 8.05, he, uh, <laughs> the angry, screaming phone calls, uh, he, he uh, has to get out and into that train at 6.14. So he has to get up about 5.30 in the morning. So he doesn't stay up past 11. And symbolically, he lowers himself in the sack. So he's going to be bright-eyed, as he says, and bushy-tailed for the morning. He lays there. And for the first five minutes, he says, every night, it feels like he's actually going to sleep. You know, he's really tired. He lays down. Ah, oh, boy. Ah, oh, wow. Ah, oh. Ah, oh, boy, sure feels good to be in a sack. Yes, sir. Mm. Wow. Yes, sir. Hmm. <sighs> What is he? No, he's in the mail room. <laughs> mail room, yeah, but those guys read everything that goes through. Those guys got a direct tap to the switchboard. Well, this 
continues for about 20 minutes, at which point he leaps out of the sack, runs into the kitchen, and he has read many old wives' tales about how if you drink a warm cup of milk, it will make you sleepy. This guy drinks an average of seven quarts of milk a night, all properly warmed, and all it does is make him fat. Occasionally it makes him belch. But he does it every night, he tries it. He says, I heat the milk up. And I drink it down. I try different techniques. Maybe they, maybe you should drink it down like uh, if you have uh, uh, hiccups. You know, you have to drink nine swallows without uh, taking a breath. And so he tries that one. Seven. You know what he's discovered by doing this technique? Merely by taking nine swallows of warm milk at night without taking a breath and counting carefully, he can induce a fantastic case of hiccups. He has been known to hiccup for three weeks after one of those treatments. He tried it all. And just two weeks ago, after 14 years of torture in hell, some nights he wouldn't sleep at all. He would compose memo after memo, and he would have brilliant phone call after brilliant phone call. He would have magnificent arguments over the tables in the, the various east side restaurants, in which he always emerges a victor after a crushing, smashing argument that destroys C.G. Bullard of motivational research in one fell hammer blow. Sometimes he's continued this to the very instant his alarm clock went off. And he says, magically, it's irritating. Can't believe it. All of these great ideas. The minute the alarm goes, ah! he's got one of these alarms, you know, where it says, uh, awakens you gently, and then it shifts into high gear. Well, his gentle alarm goes, ah! this continues for 30 seconds, and then it goes into high gear, at which point it goes, it imitates nicely the sound of a Gestapo truck arriving at 4 o'clock in the morning in front of a Jewish home in Stuttgart in 1937. He jumps up out of bed, his eyeballs spinning, and he says, You know, it's the damnest thing. My head goes to sleep. From that minute on, I have no ideas. All during the day, memos come in. I can say, What would I have said at 2 o'clock this morning? Nothing. He doesn't get it. What would I have said to Herb? At 3 o'clock in the morning, if he had said this to me over our brownies, I'd chock full of nuts. Nothing. His head only begins to work the minute he lays down in his posturepedic mattress designed to lull him to sleep. He's even got little automatic motors that turn on that make the sound of waves. He has machines that play the quiet music of the surf. Nothing has worked. 14 years. This guy went from a 227-pound PFC capable of going through the Fort Benning basic training obstacle course in less than 14 seconds flat, including the swing arms. He went down from that weight, 224 pounds of solid muscle, to 116 pounds of quivering gelatin. No sleep until just two weeks ago. 
will give you this magic cure after the following bit of commercial advice. Hey, guess who was in here yesterday? Wally Stumble. You know, little fellow runs the grocery store on the corner. Well, Wally drops in for this regular Ballantine beer, and you know what? Seems his amnesia's come back again. Connery says it's bad this time, real bad. I've forgotten how to make change. Can't seem to remember anything. And I say, Wally, but it's not as bad as you think, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to describe a familiar object, and you're going to tell me what it is, okay? Now, what's terrifically refreshing has three rings on the label and is chock full of purity, body, and flavor. Well, a Wally thinks about it a while. Don't tell me, he says. I can get this. Finally, he says, Connor, it's one of two things. Them little packs of yogurts are some kind of bird. And there he was with a bottle of Valentine beer right there in front of him. So I say, Wally, that's close enough. Looks to me like you're coming out of it. Some world, huh? Here, let me get you another Valentine. On the house. Attention, Westchester. Attention, Westchester. It's time for an important announcement. Here's an important announcement, Westchester. At last, finally, it's about time. <laughs> Gene Shepard is coming to Westchester County. That is me. This is my first appearance ever in Westchester County, and for a damn good reason. It'll be Saturday, the 31st. That is this Saturday, gang, so don't come around and snivel and say, hey, I didn't know I This Saturday, March 31st, me... Shepard himself will be live and in person to autograph my new book, The Ferrari in the Bedroom, at Wanamaker's Cross County Shopping Center, Yonkers, New York. I repeat, Wanamaker's Cross County Shopping Center, Yonkers, this Saturday, in the book department, of course, from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. This will be your only chance. Do not boot it. You can come and say all them rotten things you've been thinking over all the years that you want to say to me. That's 3 to 5, Westchester, Cross County, Shopping Center, Wanamakers, Yonkers, New York. Do not boot, boot this, this chance. chance. Okay. Hey, it's money-saving time again at your local General Tire store during their great white wall clearance sale on a discontinued design General Jet Tire. So listen to this. If you've been... Envying all your friends and neighbors who have those beautiful, long-mileage general white wall tires in their living room and use them as those magnificent conversation pieces which they make. Here is your chance. By the way, even if you don't have a car, these beautiful general white wall tires make wonderful living room art objects, objets d'art, true in the pop form. You pile up four of these and lay a slab of marble on the top and you got yourself a coffee table that don't stop. And, uh... You get a lot of talk, too, by the way. And you can see these beautiful tires at your local General Tire headquarters displaying the big red General Tire G. And let's see. In Plainfield, ask for Pepe Vasta. Pepe Vasta at General Tire Service, 815 West Front Street. Pepe. Oh, pobrecito, Pepe. Let's see. Uh, friends, are you one of those people learning to appreciate wines? Well... You've acquired the taste, but are confused about all the different wines you see? Huh? Well, let's see. We have a suggestion here. Your wine buying and wine pleasures made easy. Remember one name, Alexis Lachine, because uh, they feature the finest wines. They bring them in. It's a, it's a great group of people who export and import great wines. The classic French wine, Beaujolais, 
It's the most popular wine in France because of its delicate, dry, light flavor that goes deliciously with beef, steaks. And this would kill a Frenchman if I said this. Even hamburgers. Alexis Lachine Beaujolais <laughs> will probably become your favorite dinner wine. Alexis Lachine. Imported by Bass Carrington Vintners of New York. Ask for them. Beautiful wines in a beautiful bottle. Make your party really go, man. Alexis Lachine. And we have one more little dingy here before we give you this uh, secret, uh, magnificently effective, uh, and it really works, friends. It's a magnificently effective cure for the uh, Madison Avenue jumps and uh, any kind of insomnia which you may have. Uh, I know some people who calm their nerves with a bowl of of, uh, crisp hot wonton soup. Well, no, I'm not one of those guys. Are you, Herb? I'm not, no. What do you do, by the way? Or don't you have nerves? I was afraid of that. All engineers are closely related to the turtle, friends. Yeah, they sit there stolidly and are born with with an allied cattle clutched in one flipper. (laughs) It's all right. One thing about most engineers is because they do resemble turtles a great deal, they have poor peripheral vision. And uh, you can sneak up on their blind side sometimes and get them sitting there, especially during mating season. However, we would like to point out to those of you who do prefer the wonton soup for your nerves, I know of no better place than the House of Chan, 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. They have great wonton. In fact, they have 22 standing-at-attention cooks. They are standing at attention at all times next to their walk, 22 of them. And uh, the minute your order is, is uh, you know, called down, like, uh, for example, uh, the, the waiter comes down, you know, and he, he calls out in pure, faultless uh, Mandarin. At that point, the guy second from the end, who specializes in, he leaps to his walk, and 30 seconds later, it is sizzling on your magnificent Chinese plate. It's freshly prepared and beautiful. They're at 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, right in the heart of New York City, man. And if you're coming in to go to the theater or something like that, this is it. Open seven days a week. They have a great bar and spectacular food. The prices are right, and they've been there 35 years, which says a lot about their food. And by the way, many of the same customers who came there at opening day are still coming back and in good health. La-da-da-da-da-da, House of Chan. It is a great restaurant. Oh, you want to know how, how my friend cured? No, it's a great, great moment in his life. How many times have you in your life gone through some, with something that has bugged you for a long time? Just a little thing, a little nudging thing. And after years, one day, you magically cured it. This happened to me once with a car, which had had a squeak for about four years. It just kept squeaking. Well, one afternoon... Just by sheer chance, I discovered what caused it. I twisted one thing to the right, two twists, pushed it down, twisted again, and it was over. I mean, it was one of the great magical moments of my life. It never squeaked again. It's a great moment. Well, my friend Al was lying in the sack. His nerves were jumpy. He had had maybe a bushel and a half of menus that, or, or memos that had come down that morning. His head had been turned off for a month. Have you ever had the feeling that your head has been turned off for years? Al was fighting the the great woolies. 
He's laying there. Can't sleep. He keeps turning and twisting. His stomach is full of warm milk, which is now fermenting. He's twisting and turning. He's tried everything. He's turned on late, 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 late TV movies. Even the Preparation H man does not put him to sleep. And then all of a sudden, he said he's lying there. He doesn't know what brought it on. He is lying there flat on his back when out of the ceiling, out of, a, out of this fuzzy haze, this blackness, a face appears. He says, my God, no, it's Burroughs. Corporal Burroughs. At which point, Corporal Burroughs said, all right, you mans, today you're going to learn a basic infantry formation known as left face. You'll now stand at attention when I call the following command. A tent hut. Let's try it again. A tent hut. Pull your stomach in and put your chest out. Come on, let's go. A tent hut. When I say this following command, when the following command is delivered, left face, you will pivot on the ball of your left foot. Your left foot is the one which I will point out at this point. This is your left. He instantly asleep. He slept the sleep of the just. He sprang out of his sack at 6.14 that morning when the bell went, ah! It didn't even get into the second phase. He arrives down at the office, and by 8.17, he had destroyed four account executives with his magnificent, brilliantly contrived arguments, spectacular slashing, argumentative ploys. And the day went like a magic day. Everything was beautiful. That night he could hardly wait to go to, to the sack. And sure enough, as he laid there, he began to toss and turn. And out of the darkness, once again, the face of Corporal Burroughs appeared. Attention, men! Can't hurt! Maddies! Today we are going to take up the nomenclature and the care of the M2 Model G7 gas mask. You have been equipped with this gas mask. At the command of gas, you will take with your left hand. You will snap open, snap it. He's asleep instantly. And now he has been running over night after night all the old army lectures that he's had. He says hey, now he's bringing out his favorites, like the VD lecture, one of his favorites. He's had put him to sleep in less than 12 seconds. And he had great dreams, too, after that one. So I would suggest, friends, there's more than one way. More than one way. <laughs> yeah. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith on the news, you hear? This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. New York State has a new operating budget of $8,750,000,000 for the fiscal year, which starts this Sunday. Tonight, legislative approval was completed in Albany for a budget that will increase state aid to elementary and secondary schools by $98 million over the present budget. Welfare spending will go up by $109 million. The total state welfare cost will be $1.3 billion. A holdover from last year's budget will be the state income tax surcharge and the so-called hot dog tax, the levy on meals, which cost under $1. On the budget's political side, Queen's Democratic Senator Jack Bronstein accused Governor Rockefeller of hiding a multi-million dollar surplus in it. Bronstein contends that Rockefeller is using the surplus to store up funds so as to avoid a tax increase next year when the governor comes up for re-election. And Assembly Minority Leader Stanley Steingott joined his fellow Democrats and denounced the New York budget as what he called a fraud on the people. 
Information from convicted Watergate bugging defendant James McCord was given in private, but after today's four-and-a-half-hour session with McCord, one member of the Senate Special Investigating Committee said that McCord's information was significant. Republican Senator Howard Baker also said that McCord had named names of additional people in connection with the espionage and sabotage campaign against the National Democratic Party headquarters. Beyond that, Senator Baker would not reveal any part of McCord's testimony. Baker only promised that any leads from what McCord had to say would be followed up. Another Watergate convict, E. Howard Hunt, appeared before the grand jury, which is investigating the Watergate episode. Also in Washington, a former head of the Central Intelligence Agency Clandestine Operations for Latin America, William Bro, said today that Harold Janine, the board chairman of International Telephone and Telegraph, had offered the CIA money to back an opponent of Chile's Marxist Socialist president in the 1970 elections. Rose said that it was a substantial sum, but he told Janine that the United States government was not supporting any candidate in the Chilean election. Cattle and hog prices continue to go down today on most of the livestock markets in the Midwest. The market price drop has been attributed to the threatened consumer boycott for next week. Some retail outlets have already stopped buying their regular amounts of meat. Seven men were indicted today for operating an alleged food dealer scheme in Brooklyn that brought them big money at the expense of wholesale food merchants. Brooklyn District Attorney Eugene Gold said the group would rent a vacant store, set up a small bank account to establish credit, and then order large amounts of meats and groceries from the wholesalers. They would then allegedly sell the food to other retailers, clear out of the store, and pay the wholesalers with worthless checks. Gold said the indictments were the latest stemming from that secret listening device planted in the auto junkyard trailer in Canarsie. That was where the alleged business headquarters operated for organized crime. Gold was asked what impact the racket had on Brooklyn's retail food customers. It has a very direct impact on food prices within the city of New York. Uh, they're buying merchandise from wholesalers for which they aren't paying. It amounts to a hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. The result is that the wholesaler has to raise his prices in order to absorb this kind of loss. Are you saying the wholesalers raised their prices? In other words, they were built, so that building is passed along to John Chupon.